This is Off the Dome with Matt G. Wow, that was a uh, that was a long night of watching first night of NBA last night. You know, I didn't go to sleep till what, like one a one a.m. I was just so in tuned. Um, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Off the Dome podcast. This episode sponsored you by Anchor, the easiest way to make a podcast. So we got a lot to talk about, um, mostly NBA today, um, but with one um, comment from Hall of Fame coach Tony Dungy on the GOAT Tom Brady. So, but first, let's get right into the games from last night. We'll start with the, my defending champion, LA Lakers, going up against the LA Clippers. The LA Clippers won that game, 116-109. Um, Paul George, I give a lot, of, a lot of props to, had 33 points to lead all scores. Um, Kawhi Leonard chipped in with 26 for the Clippers. And on the other hand, for the Lakers, LeBron had 22, 5, and 5. AD had 18. And the bench, uh, and the two, uh, new acquisitions, Schroeder and Montrez, um, uh, both convi- both combined for 31 points. Montrez was 17 and 10. Dennis Schroeder almost tr- played around with a triple double, 14 points, 12 rebounds, and 8 assists. So, huh, let's get right into it. First of all, I would like to, um, as a Laker fan and a huge diehard LeBron guy, I will just say this straight up. I would like to congratulate the LA Clippers on winning back-to-back opening nights. That's another one to add to their to their um, to their history. Back-to-back opening night champs, and this will probably be a top ten moment in the in their history. Uh, beating the the Lakers on a ring ceremony because I'm not going to take anything away from Paul George. Um, he was great. Um, and he had 33. He was he had great on ball defense. He was terrific. Kawhi he chipped in his usual 25 plus. He was good. But to be honest with you, like what I like I said on the podcast yesterday, whatever were to happen, it was still the Lakers ring night. Nothing could take. Nobody could take those rings away from them. They could have it the rest of their lives. Um. And you know what? They were before. First of all, before the game, the ring ceremony itself was truly beautiful. Um, having the families um, of each of each player um, and the health line workers um, announce uh, announce um, the ring, uh, announce the players and coaching staffs' rings. It was amazing. Um, and for the players, it it kind of got me emotional. It hit me. Um, and for LeBron's, like I promise, school, um, his the the people at his school, the kids at his school, saying, um, "Congrats!" and we're, "You're a hero!" and it, it's we are a family. That's amazing. And to have his kids, um, uh, say we love you, Dad, and. Your, go get another. That that was inspiring. Um, it truly was a great ceremony. Obviously, under the conditions we have going on in this world, um, and it was truly a very good. It was a great ring ceremony. And to be honest with you, I t- ment- mentally the Lakers. I'm not going to make any excuses, but mentally the Lakers were not in the right mind. They were just. It's it's tough to handle on a ring ceremony. When you go from the highs of celebrating and basking in the glory of last season to all of a sudden play against your arch rival on opening night, I mean, that's not... They kind of got thrown into the wolves. So that was that was kind of tough, but I did love the ring ceremony. Now, as far as the game goes, 
Um, the Lakers did look flat. I mean, they didn't shoot the ball, and mostly is because they physically they were not there yet. Coach Vogel said before the game that mentally they are there, but physically compared to the other teams, they are not there. Obviously, with the fact that they it's been the shortest off season ever, and it's been seventy one or seventy two days since they won a championship in the bubble. So for that end, I, I can understand um, why the why the Lakers like were not sharp. I mean, they were missing shots they normally would make. Uh, they turned the ball over. Um, but I also, I give the Clippers um, as much as, uh, you know, who, who I support and how much uh, I, I, I dislike the Clippers. I'm going to be honest, fair is fair. I, I give the Clippers credit. Um, mainly because of the way they swarmed their on-ball defense on Anthony Davis. Whenever they would throw a ball to Anthony Davis in the post, they would send bodies at him and double him and force him to take jump shots. So I give them credit, and the Lakers weren't really prepared for that end. Um, I thought that I thought that Schroeder and Montrez, like I said, played very well, but it wasn't impactful enough to have an outcome on the game. Um, I, I just thought the Lakers came out really flat. And whenever they would cut the lead to one point or two points, they could have had chances to take the lead the third quarter. But once they started missing brick shot after shot in the third quarter, the Clippers would stretch the lead to 9, 11, and at one point seventeen. So, I mean, look, it, it, was a very, it was a very inefficient night for the Lakers um, all, all around. Um, now, let's talk about Paul George and the Clippers. First of all, you, people think I hate on Paul George because he's a Clippers, he's on the Clippers, and and is trash talking. But to be honest with you, I don't hate Paul George. I, I hate the word hate. I don't hate really any NBA player. I will say this about Paul George. I've never questioned his talent whatsoever. I've never questioned his mental toughness because obviously everyone, the, he, the fact that he dealt with emotions he never felt before in the bubble, um, he went through a lot personally, um, like a lot of NBA players I'm sure did in the bubble. Um, and, uh, and he wasn't the right mindset to play. That was fine. But also in the playoffs in the last couple of years with the Thunder and the Pacers, he's come up small where he's earned the name George Paul or way off P. I thought I never questioned him in the regular season, though. I think he's still an all, a, a, a very much an all star, and I would say he's a superstar in the regular season. In the playoffs, I have lots of questions on him. But last night, Paul George probably played his best game as an LA Clipper last night. Thirty three points on eighteen shots, um, five of eight from three. That was in a largely impressive game that Paul George displayed. I give a lot of credit to him, and he. Whenever any Lakers try to attack the, the lane, Paul George would be on them, and he would def, he would um, he would lock them up. I would give him a lot of credit. I give I give Serge Ibaka credit. He was he played good defense and had fifteen and six. I mean, and the Clippers clearly were more ready to play than the Lakers. Um, Paul George was very good, and Kawhi Leonard. He had 26, yes, but only two rebounds, three assists, 10 of 26 from the field, one of eight from three. That's not a great game. I mean, he struggled, he struggled mightily, but I give Paul George credit. Um, but when I look at this Clippers team, to be honest with you, there's not really – I people say they improve the roster. I mean, how? 
I mean, look, yes, Serge Ibaka was a good upgrade for him. I like Serge. But that's really their only rim protector. I mean, they still they they did lose Trez, and I do think losing Trez will hurt them in the long run. I thought that Serge I thought Serge um, was a good fit for last night, but it's a long regular season. I thought that if I look at it, they paid Luke Kennard four years, $64 million. I don't think that's great. Um, I thought Marcus Morris, they overpaid him, but I don't think he will make that much of a difference between Lakers and Clippers. Um, but we'll see how that goes. I just look at this team. They don't have they, – they are a good defensive team, but I, when I really look at it as far as rim protection goes and as far as like going deep in the playoffs, they're not better than the Lakers. Lakers have a better roster. They really do. They, they, yes, they lost a big with Dwight and JaVale. But when I look at it compared, when LeBron's right and when the other guys on the Lakers incorporate themselves better into this offense, they're a much better team than the Clippers. There's absolutely no debate about that whatsoever. Um, and look, Nick Batum, I have reservations on him. I mean, he had three, he had six rebounds, six assists, but only three points. I don't think he, he can space the floor. But I don't think he's as good as he used to be. So, look, I have questions about this team, though, from that perspective. And people want to say how bad the Lakers looked last night. I mean, what about the Clippers? They were up 22 at one point, then the Lakers came back. And when I look at the rest of the team, there wasn't really that other guy that would just, besides Paul George, that would just take over the game and make consistent jump shots. They let the Lakers back into the game. The Lakers almost took advantage, and the Lakers were very rusty, and new guys were incorporated, and they missed shots they normally would make. I mean, look, it was very, it was, the Clippers almost let the Lakers back into this game, and they still, they still, when I look at them, they didn't improve upon it. Lou Williams, I think, is consistently one of the weaker playoff scorers off the bench that I've seen in recent years. Um, I think that we had look at it. Patrick Patterson, he's not that great. Luke Kennard's not that great. Zubac is is decent, but he's not. But he's but he's mainly not a rim protector. He's decent. He's good, but he's not a great rim protector and a dominant big man. So when I look at this team, and they don't even have a real a, a traditional point guard. Pat Bev is not a traditional point guard. So when I really look at it, they're not that deep. They're not that deep as some people may think. I don't think they're going to make the Western Conference Finals again, in my opinion. I think that they'll be a very good team. But in reality, though, I, I, I have reservations about this team. I don't even think they're the second-best team in the West. Denver might have something to say about that. And, you know, I might pick Denver over the Clippers to win Christmas Day. So I have reservations on the Clippers, too. They weren't that great either. I mean, they, I mean, they shot... They shot what? They had, they made 14 threes and all that, but they still turned the ball over 16 times. Um, still, Kawhi Leonard struggled uh, throughout the game. Um, I, they did all that, and th- Kawhi Leonard and Paul George still had 33 and 26 together, and their bench played really well, and the Lakers came off rusty, and yet they still had let the Lakers back into the game. That shows you that there are still reservations on the Clippers. Now let's go to my Lakers. Obviously, go back. Let's go back to my Lakers. Obviously, there, there. I was 
I didn't expect. Let's get to LeBron. I ex- I didn't expect LeBron to have an outstanding goat James type game. I didn't expect that. I mean, yes, you have to. Un- I expected rust, and unfortunately, he did ex- have rust when I expected him to. Um, he w- he missed a lot of easy bunnies, and he would normally make. Um, he did turn the ball over four times. Um, I knew he was going to be under a minutes restriction to preserve longevity for the postseason and beyond to try to catch Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's scoring record. I know that he's preserving this energy for the future, but I mean, he was and he was good in spurts, but in general, he did miss shots he normally would make, and his conditioning was off when I looked him going into the bench. His conditioning did seem a bit off to me, and that's understandably so. I mean, what do you expect when he's drinking, what, Pinot and Lobos for all this time? Um, He has worked out, obviously, still. He works out every day. He's a gym rat. But as far as basketball conditioning-wise, he didn't play a lot in the preseason. And he looked a a little – his conditioning seemed a bit off from the speed of the game. Um, That could be just me, though. And yes, he did roll his ankle through um, during the game against the um, the Clippers, and they were down seven with seven fifty one left. And throughout the four minute stretch, when it was cut, the game was somewhat still in the balance. But in the end, I, I think that LeBron and Vogel mutually agreed that LeBron just didn't want to didn't want to risk it coming back and re-injuring the ankle for the rest of the season because they have a big game Friday against Luka. So, I mean, look, it, there is, it, was, it wasn't worth the risk. The Clippers were a lot better last night. So, yes, that was the right move to sit that out. Um, I knew he was under a minute's restriction, but I still felt, feel like he could have played 32, 30 to 32 minutes. He played 28. Um, I think Vogel, I love Frankie V., but I think he needs to do a better job of knowing when to put LeBron in, in and when to take him out in certain situations. So, I mean, last night, I'm not going to analyze it too much because it was the first game back. But I think I think that because of the short offseason, uh, I think, and LeBron just coming back in, I think they're going to work him well into shape throughout. And I, th- I, expect, I expect him next game to be a lot closer and I expect him to play around 31, 33 minutes per next game. So we'll see how that goes. Now, as far as the rest of the team, uh, as far as the we'll, – we'll start with the four other guys that I – of the Lakers that I was very interested to see, and that was Trez, Schroeder, um, Marcus Gasol, and Wes Matthews. Trez and Schroeder looked very good last night. I thought that they incorporated themselves into the bench role very well. I'm the start into their roles very well. Trez coming off the bench, Schroeder starting. But when I really looked at it, it didn't have an impact on the game as much as I would like to. I mean, yes, Schroeder did mess around with the triple double, but I didn't feel like he took over the game as much as I felt like he did when he was with the Thunder. He was good, but he wasn't spectacular. Trez Harrell, he had 17 and 10. He had good high energy, but I didn't feel like he would take over the game as dominant as I felt like he should have offensively or defensively. But they'll incorporate over time. But from the first game in a new system, I liked what I saw. Now, as far as Wes Matthews and Marcus Saul go, 
Wes Matthews was 0 of 2 from the from the field last night. Um, Wes Matthews, um, I, I'm not gonna again. I'm not gonna overreact. Okay, it, it was just one game, but Wes Matthews, 0 of 2 from three. I mean, he could have hit some big shots when the Lakers needed it. It was his first game back. He needed to get his legs underneath him. But and he did let Kawhi off the hook on certain plays down the stretch. But in the end, though, I mean, he did. He he he's gonna play his role pretty fine. I mean, he's a good. He's a vet. He's a good on ball defender. He'll knock down his three sooner rather than later. I'm not entirely worried about Wes Matthews, but it would have been nice for him to knock down some threes in his opener. Now, as far as Marcus Saul goes. That's one concern I slightly have about the Lakers losing Dwight and losing JaVale. I mean, I there was not a consistent rim protector rim protector the Lakers have. Uh I mean, yes, Gasol still somewhat can play defense and Trez is a good defender and AD at the 5. I picked him to to win defensive player of the year. The Lakers will be a lot better in the paint after this game. But Marcus Saul, I felt was a statue last night. Marcus Saul had zeros across the board, one assist, and five foul, any and five fouls. His conditioning looked off. I mean, it was depressing to watch Marcus Saul. I think he will. I I have reservations about that that signing. Yes, they had to make a bit. They had to sign another big to fulfill Dwight's absence. I thought Trez was a great signing. But but Marcus Saul, I was a little skeptical about. Yes, I know he's still a very capable big man passer, but I do feel like he could have done a lot better last night. He could have contributed in other ways, either defensively or at least passing the ball more. So I was a little disappointed in Mark Gasol. I do think that I do hope that they that he plays better than them in the next game, though. Um, so we'll see about that. Um, now. As far as the next game, let's start with the Warriors and the Nets. Um, so so there's, there was two storylines in this game. One was Steph Curry leading this team without Clay and without without Clay for the year, without Draymond for that game, against his former buddy and former teammate Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in the Brooklyn Nets. Let's start with the Golden State first. Let's start with Steph Curry. So when I looked at this, I was thinking, my, I was analyzing all the great, the greats in the NBA and all the Steph Curry, in my opinion, has changed the game from a shooting standpoint. I, I've never seen a point guard that can pull up from transition threes and, and make them with ease as well. As Steph Curry can. I, I think he's an, ex, I think he's an exception, an exceptional player. I think he's a greater person off the court. Um, I think that I still think he is the best shooter in the world. But when I really look at it for, with Steph's career, I'm not going – look, I'm not questioning his talent. I'm not questioning his shooting. I'm not questioning his leadership. I'm not questioning anything like that at all. But as far as his two – as the two years where he won back-to-back league MVPs, I mean, if you really look at it, he's had the best roster ever on his team. Uh, best rosters ever. The 15-16 and when they added Kevin Durant for those other three years. Steph Curry, I feel like, is a great talent. But as far as 
with his legacies determined as far as being exceptional on a bad team or try to carry this team to the playoffs. I mean, look, last year I give him a pass because he broke his hand and Clay was out. Yes, that was a pass. But this year, if the, when I look at this roster, and I don't know if Steph can make this team to the playoffs. I mean, look at looking at it, he's a great player, but typically when I look at all the four point guards, since four exceptional point guards since in my time, since Jason Kidd and since Steve Nash, there's four that comes to mind. There's Chris Paul, there's James Harden, there's Russell Westbrook, and then there's Steph. The, what those three other point guards had was they would take mediocre rosters or bad teams and they would take them to the playoffs. You saw what CP3 did with the Thunder. Um, he took them a mediocre team to the playoffs. You saw what, um, what Russell Westbrook did during his triple-double MVP year. That team was really rough and he took them to the playoffs. And you saw also what James Harden has done. I mean, we're going to talk about him much later in the show. Not the great stuff. But as a player perspective, James Harden um, let, was a revolutionizing scorer who, who made the playoffs every single year he was in Houston. We're going to judge Steph Curry based off of not his greatness like with a great team, but his greatness in totality of his career just to see how worthy those two MVP seasons were. Because when I really look at it, whenever the team was struggling last night, I mean, when I'm just pulling up the stats right here, Steph didn't get it going. I'm just pulling up the box score. Um, Steph Curry's stats from last night, he had 20 points. He did have 10 assists. But the 20 points on 21 shots, 7 of 21 shooting, and this stat is a bizarre. Two of ten from three. He was a minus twenty-three last night. I know it's one game, but when I look at this roster without Clay and Draymond being out for a foreseeable time, this roster is incredibly thin. And look, if Steph were to carry this roster to the playoffs, yes, I'd put him in the MVP conversation. But when I really look at it, I'm not that sure right now because we're going to know a lot more about Steph, who he is with a bad team, if he could truly carry this bad team to the playoffs because I really don't know. Yes, he's an amazing shooter. Um, he's he's. But when I really look at it, as far as carrying this team, being the guy on his back that can shoot you in these games with a bad roster – I'm not sure of that. Um, when he was with, he had when he had KD and when he had that elite bench. Whenever he struggled, other guys, other other bench players would be in there to get him going, would to get the team going and step up. And when Steph came back in, he'd be Steph again. The Warriors don't have that bench. They don't have that consistent bench to get to take pressure off Steph. And Steph, unfortunately, is being asked to do so much. But when he's asked to do so much, I don't think he can carry the team in the playoffs. I mean, look, LeBron has had the worst, two of the worst finals rosters ever. When he when he left those two bad finals rosters, the Cavs had the worst records in the league. But you know why? Because he still installed it upon himself 
to uh, to unlock his full potential to carry this team on his back, and he was able to do it. With Steph, I don't know if he's that guy that when the going gets tough, he could carry this this bad team all the way to the playoffs. He's not that alpha like those other three point guards are. I think personally he's better than Russell. I personally think he's – I think him and CP3 – I, I put C, Steph over CP3, but Chris Paul's had a great career. Um, Harden, yes. I mean, Harden's great, like, getting his teams to the play, the postseason. He's getting them to the destination, but they were not able to capitalize on the trip to the destination. Steph Curry, I don't even think he can carry this team to another country. I don't think he can carry this team to the mount to at least the party. The, that really matters, the playoffs. I don't think Steph Curry can do that with this roster. And yes, he's getting older. He's getting he's, he's now what? 33 years old. I'm I don't know. I I I hope that Steph Curry can have a good year um statistically. I I'm sure he'll be, be he'll be a lot better than he was last night moving forward. But I don't know, man. I have some reservations about the Golden State Warriors moving forward. Um, I'm going to knock on wood for Klay Thompson and Draymond Green's injuries. Uh, mainly to Klay Thompson because of that Achilles injury. I don't wish that upon anybody. But I really don't know about this team, in my opinion. I, I, we'll see how it goes moving forward. I, I'm just not high on Steph this year. And I'm questioning his... Greatness with a bad team if he's truly that guy. Now, as far as let's talk about the winners of last night, um, Kev, the Brooklyn Nets. So Kevin Durant made his debut last night, and it was a success. I've said this countless, 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 countless times. Kevin Durant is the lock second best player in the league when he is back and healthy, and he looked like it last night. Now, typically when it's an Achilles injury, when you've relied on your game to attack the basket consistently and, and really play at a high vertical, I mean, it's going to affect you in a lot of ways. It affected Kobe when he came back from that Achilles injury. But KD's seven foot. I mean, he, he can play. He, he he's, he's already has that potential. He's already, it's already a given. And his game's not based off of just driving. His game is about mid-range and pull-ups, and he was in the full Kevin Durant was on full display last night. He was great last night. He had 22 um, on, in 24 minutes. He was terrific. Um, he got he made his his jump shots. He looked sensational last night. He was great in the limited time. Him and Kyrie both looked very good. Kyrie with 26, four and four. He looked very good. This Brooklyn Nets team is. On, is a very loaded offensive team. With Dinwiddie, Joe Harris looks really good. Um, let's see, Torian Prince, I'm sorry, um, Karis LeVert, oh my God, that, this guy's a stud. And Steve Nash said that he could be the Manu to this team. Karis LeVert, 29-5 off the bench. He was great. Um, he was utterly terrific. Um, Je- um, Jeff Green, a great vet off the bench. That's a great pickup. This is a very loaded Brooklyn Nets team offensively. And I thought, and I really liked what they showed last night. Um, Kevin Durant was great um, for his time. Um, I thought he was very good. 
I knew when I saw him, as soon as he made his first couple shots, I said, yep, he's back. He's looking great. Um, he, he, he's gonna, he is by far the second best player in the league. Now, as far as the degree of difficulty, though, last night about Brooklyn, I do think they're going to struggle defensively. No disrespect to DeAndre Jordan. I thought like when he was, he, he, he has seen better days in this league when he was with the Clippers. When he was with the Clippers, he was a great shot blocker and he was a high energy guy. Yes, he's going to get his rebounds. He had 11 rebounds last night. But he's seen better days in this league, and I don't think he can be the same defender he once was. Jared Allen, I think, is a good, nice player. I think he's better than DeAndre Jordan, but yes, I question him as a defender too. I don't think that they have that great, big, quality, in-prime player that can, that's a good rim protector that can, that, can, that can stop the opposing teams. And I think Kevin Durant's a good defender, also because he's big. But I do worry about Joe Harris and Dinwiddie and Kyrie on the defensive end. It's and yes, they played great defense against the Warriors last night, but the Warrior it was the degree of difficulty was a joke. The Warriors were terrible last night. It was a, it was pathetic to watch the entire game. But when it really comes push to shove, I mean when I really look at it, I mean I mean I mean Golden State I'm sorry, Brooklyn, I, I don't think they're going to, as far as the other explosive um, defensive teams, like Toronto, Boston, Milwaukee, the Heat, the Sixers, those teams can play defense and combine that with solid offensive role, offensive skilled players. When I look at Brooklyn, yes, they have the offensive talent. But defensively, I question what they're going to do in the postseason. And under a first-time head coach and an associate head coach that, let's face it, weren't really known for defense. So I really just don't see them being an elite, great defensive team. I think they'll be a very good offensive team. I thought I think against trash teams in the regular season, they'll play very good defense. But when it comes push comes to shove against offensively elite skilled players, I really don't know. And say they have to play like the Lakers or Clippers like throughout the regular season, I don't know if they're going to stop the LeBron or AD or Kawhi and Paul George. I don't see that at all. Um, I have reservations about them defensively. I know they're a very deep roster. I think Karis LeVert could start any other team. He's a stud. Joe Harris is great. KD and Kyrie are both exceptional players. But I do have questions about them moving forward. Um, so now... Let's talk about as far as last uh, the rest of the game. I was saying in my head, they don't need James Harden. I mean, James Harden does not fit with this team. They're so much better off without James Harden. Um, I think if the Eastern, if the other Eastern Conference teams don't match up well to that offensive firepower that Brooklyn has, then I'd be like, yeah, I will get James Harden. Uh, Daryl Morey uh, on the Sixers. Um, as the D, as the GM, I think that Daryl Morey would at some point, depending on how the how Simmons and Embiid do, I think he would love James Harden to compete with Brooklyn, because uh, Daryl Morey wrote a, uh, an ad in the Houston Chronicle saying how much James Harden has changed his life, how revolutionary he is. So of all all of the other East teams that struggle, I feel like James Harden would be a good fit for the Sixers. Most importantly. Speaking of James Harden, this leads into my next topic. 
look, um, I don't have anything against James Harden as a person. I think, in general, he seems like a good guy. But when I really just look at his behavior, I mean, during this whole offseason and trying to get traded, I think it's utterly freaking stupid. James Harden is acting so immature right now. He's acting out on purpose to get him out of Houston. Like, it's one thing to to say I want to be traded, right? And and Houston and the Houston front office would be like, yeah. And to owner Tillman Fertitta would be like, yeah, okay. We'll find you the best situation possible. Until then, hang tough and try to be the best player you are with this roster. James Harden has not done that. And I read a report um, earlier today that James Harden was arguing with the Houston Rockets teammates and he threw a ball at a rookie. I mean, that's childish. That's utter childish. And the fact that he went to strip club in Las Vegas, maskless, and the fact that he's doing all these things to be out of shape and to just act out of control, break COVID protocols, the fact that he's doing all these things just to just to get out of Houston is utter bizarre and so utterly pathetic. And the fact that you have to throw a ball at a player is terrible. Anthony Davis wanted out of New Orleans his final year. They didn't trade him. A lot of things fell fell through. But AD at least was professional. He didn't at least try to break, try to go to a strip club in Las Vegas, um, or try to go anywhere like that to harm the team in any way and to and to be out of shape. He didn't chuck a ball at a rookie. James Harden has acted so out of control to a point where he's acting out as much as possible just to get out of Houston. And the way he's handling all this is so childish. If you want out of Houston, fine. But don't just do all these things just for attention, just to lash out at your teammates and your organization. I mean, when you really look at it, when when James Harden came to the Rockets, they try to get a great duo with him. They try to get Dwight Howard, and and it didn't work out. He blamed Dwight. He they tried CP3. He blamed CP3 because he thought CP3 ran the offense in a very boring style. Then he tried it with Russ. He said, "Well, Russ is a ball hog." Well, I'm not saying those players were perfect with the Houston Rockets culture, but they. But when I look at the common denominator here, James Harden. Seem, it seems to be the, it's a two-way street. It's on you too, James. Why don't you take accountability for what you have done with this Houston organization? Why don't you take accountability for how you've acted? But no, you have to be, you have to lash out and be all this. And, and, and I find it very childish to me. It's pathetic. Um, and, and poor Steven Silas also, I, I read a report that the Houston Rockets first Thunder game tonight is postponed due to COVID, COVID-19 tracing because some players traced, uh, were close contacts with others that had COVID-19. Uh, I, w- I knock on wood for everybody else's health. Um, poor Steven Silas though, who has to deal with all of this. Um, I feel bad. Um, James Harden, I feel like he's being immature. And personally, if I were Houston, I would find the man. Find him. You know what? You 
You do, if I were Houston, you've done whatever you've had to do to get him. Complimentary other role players. Complimentary other two. Complimentary other two, other number twos. And yet, James Harden is lashing out and being so disruptive. Just find the man. What's the worst thing that can happen? It's it, it's bizarre what James Harden's turned into. Um, just all this just to get traded. That is sad and pathetic. It really, it, it really truly is pathetic. Um, speaking of, speaking of just acting of of just acting out and being foolish. Let's talk about Juju Smith Schuster. So Juju Smith Schuster, I from what I've read, from what Adam Schefter has said, and from what Juju Smith's statement was. Juju Smith-Schuster, apparently, after talking to the organization and talking to everybody else, Juju Smith-Schuster says he is, quote, done with dancing on logos. Um, He said on a Zoom call he's going to stop dancing on opposing teams' logos. Um, He said it was never meant to be disrespectful and he didn't want it to be a distraction. Um, This is a quote from Teresa Varley. Um, quote, just something for fun th- for those who follow him on social media. I mean, really? Really, that, that's, that's total baloney. You, J- Juju Smith-Schuster did all this because dance, doing it on another opponent's logo is utter disrespectful because the team and the organization value that logo to a high standard uh, wherever it is. And the fact that another opposing player has to do TikTok dances on the logo, that's very disrespectful. I mean, I've seen countless NFL players like try to do I'm like TO who who went on the star, hands above like he was God, and then one of the Dallas Cowboys um def- um defenders just decked him because it was disrespectful to their name, to their brand, to their culture. And it doesn't it didn't help the fact that but a lot of teammates, and if I were on the opposing teams, and if Juju Smith danced on my logo, I would feel disrespected. I would feel upset about it. And the fact is that Juju Smith Schuster had to dance on another po- on another opponent's logo, and the fact that um, other team other players like realized that it was disrespectful. Juju Juju should have realized. That maybe he was doing it a little out of control, and maybe he realized, well, I'm not, win- we're not winning games, so yeah, I'm gonna have to stop doing this. I mean, yes, it does inspire the other team to play better when he dances on your opponent uh, on your logo. I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals. There's a lot of history between the Bengals and the Steelers. I remember one time during the during the uh, Super Bowl run the Steelers made during the regular season. I remember one person on the Cincinnati Bengals wiped the towel on his shoes, wiped the terrible towel on his shoes, um, and the Steelers took that with disrespect, and the Steelers won the playoff game. And the Bengals clearly took Juju Smith-Schuster's dancing as disrespectful. So they came out, and you saw what Von Bell did to Juju Smith-Schuster. I think that I think that was utterly, I think that was utterly disrespectful what Juju Smith-Schuster was doing. Um, 
I, I felt like he I felt like fans of the opposing teams were heavily invested and they want to see their other players succeed. And the fact that if I were a fan base, if someone else were dancing on my Chicago Bears logo, I would feel very upset about that. So you know what? I, I personally I feel like it was very childish that he was dancing on another opponent's logo. That being said, though, if you were winning games, I would be totally fine with it. But the fact that you had to do this, like to another opposing team, uh, or an arch rival, or any other team like that, when they use that as motivation, if they're using it as motivation, rather of you being trying to be disrespectful or not, they're gonna take that to heart. They're gonna take that to heart and be disrespectful about it. It's not like you were dancing. If you were dancing on the sidelines. That'd be fine, but dancing on another opponent's logo, dancing, you better bring it. You better, um, you better bring your play. But and if he was playing while they're winning these games, I'd, I'd no one would say anything. But they aren't winning games, and Judas Smith Schuster hasn't had a 100 receiving yard game since AB left, so he's not that great himself. He's like um, he has fewer catches than Will Gage and Danny Amendola. He's not that great of a receiver without A.B. Um, and yes, Big Ben should be playing a lot better than what he is. But Juju Smith-Schuster needs to at least, if you're going to talk that trash, you back it up. I mean, as words of Coolio, if you can't take the heat, get your A-word out the kitchen. That's what you should do. You, if you want to, if you, if you want to dance and do all this, how about you win and play hard and and have these one hundred plus receiving yard games and at least contribute in a huge degree. That's all I'm trying to say, and I don't like how Juju Smith Schuster handled himself. I found that to be very immature, and I think I I I think it was finally the right move that he decided to ban doing TikToks on on opposing uh, teams logos. Now, to end this, this show, um, I'm going to talk about some other NFL um, beef or, as what I now know, fake beef. So there was – so there was um, – so on a recent club podcast – so excuse me. On a recent podcast of Club Shay Shay, Shannon Sharp's podcast, Tony Dungy said on the podcast that he would take six other players – Six other players, um, six other quarterbacks ahead of Tom Brady. And this is I'm going to play this video of who he said he would take over Tom Brady. And I'm going to tell you what Tom Brady did after what Tony and what his reaction was after Tony Dungy said this on the podcast. I'm going to roll this video. This is what Tony Dungy said. And while he defended his claim, putting Tom Brady at number six, I'm going to roll this tape. Aaron Rodgers, John Elway, Steve Young, guys guys who could move. Not to say Tom wasn't great. He is great, but that extra dimension meant right. something to me. So that's that's why I would only put him at six. Just my opinion. Okay, so Tony Dungy, let me give you so let me give you some background on his career. So Tony Dungy, um, um, was an excellent coach, and I have his book, um, Quiet, uh, something quiet, quiet, 
quiet strength. Yes, quiet strength. He's a he's a very spiritual man. He's a seems like a really nice guy. Um, and I I and I love him on Sunday Night Football. He seems like a very classy guy. And before he was a head coach, he was he was he played in the NFL for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was he was um, he was a safety on the Steelers, um, and he won a Super Bowl with Pittsburgh. So from a defense, so he's a defensive coach. So from a defensive perspective, this is what he saw from what a, uh, what the current where the old Hall of Famers were of who he thought were the toughest to go up against. And when I really when he looked when he really read it and when he how he studied the game. How he was a head coach and how he's played the game, that's his opinion. Now, I don't agree with his opinion. I, I, I think I think Tom Brady, as much as I you know my strong like by my strong dislike towards Tom, I don't dislike him, but I don't like him either. I all honesty, I think Tom Brady's the GOAT. But when I really just look at what Tom, what Tony Dungy said, I mean, he was he was saying it from his point of view. I mean, it was not a shot at Tom whatsoever. I mean, Shannon Sharp asked the question, and Tony Dungy gave his honest response. But what Tom Brady did, well, people want to say, oh, Le- uh, when LeBron lashes out at criticism, people want to say, oh, Michael Jordan and Tom Brady would never respond to such criticism. Well, Tom Brady, what he did was, um, he was having fun with Tony Dungy by posting a photo on Twitter of the, an Indianapolis Colts banner that says 2014 AFC finalist. Wait, what? First of all, Tony Dungy was not, didn't coach the, 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 the Indianapolis Colts in 2014. That was, um, right now, that was at right now, um, defensive coordinator Chuck Pagano's used to be head coaching job with the Indianapolis Colts. I mean, yeah, that was his team that he led to the AFC uh, championship game. That was not Tony Dungy's team. Tony Dungy um, coached, uh, coached his, I think he last coached the Colts in 2007, I want to say, um, his year of defending the Super Bowl crown. Um, and when he faced Tom Brady... I mean, Tom Brady has a five and three record against Tony Dungy. Uh, Tom Brady threw four during that stretch through fourteen touchdowns, eleven interceptions. That's not a those those aren't great numbers. I mean, but the last time these two teams played um, when in, was the uh, two thousand six AFC Championship game between the Col- the Colts and the Patriots. Um, the Col- the uh, Patriots were up, I think, seventeen points that game, and the, and and the Colts came all the way back to win that game to go to the Super Bowl. To, to beat, unfortunately, my Chicago Bears. So, I mean, look, he Tom Brady did show pettiness in there, and it shows that he's human. It shows that if once in a while that we have to lash out, we have to stand up for certain things. Um, Tony Dungy, I feel like he was not pointing a shot at Tom Brady. He was just, and I don't think it was being biased by any means. I think he was just saying it just because... I mean, like from his perspective, from being a, a safety in the NFL and be and coaching again and and seeing what he sees from what the quarterbacks have played the position very well, 
from his eye test, that's what he's getting out of it. I don't think he has any hatred towards Tom or anything like that. I think he's just saying it from how he feels about this um, from a player's perspective. So, look, I don't find that to be any knock on on Tony Dungy, on on Tom Brady whatsoever. Um, That's just how Tony Dungy felt, in my opinion. Um, Yes, Chuck Pagano is human. Um, but in, 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 sorry, Tom Brady is human. I'll edit that out. Tom Brady is human, but, and it showed that he could be petty once in a while. I mean, it, it happens. Um, you know, I don't see any problem with that. I think people are making this Skip Bayless and all these other people are just making this too big of a deal than it really is. People are going to, some conspiracy theorists and some Brady lovers are going to say, oh, Tony Dungy played against Tom, coached against Tom multiple times. I mean, he hates Tom because Tom used to beat him a lot and Tony Dungy only beat him in the AFC Championship game. No, I mean, he's just seeing it from his own perspective of how he was a safety in the league. So that wraps up my podcast. Uh, there's no guests today. Um, so I'm going to be um, I'm going to do one more show tomorrow um, to preview uh, the NBA games for Friday. Um, it's going to be a very heavy packed day um, of NBA, of um, Christmas Day games and the and the um, special Christmas Day football game between the uh, New Orleans Saints and the Minnesota Vikings. I'm going to preview that tomorrow, um, but I'm off for Friday and the weekend. So um, that's just my a little bit what what's going on on the Off the Dome podcast. Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Off the Dome podcast. I will uh, check back with you tomorrow. Have a nice night. Go get them.